free will. In the context of philosophy of mind, the problem of free will takes on renewed intensity. This is certainly the case, at least, for materialistic determinists. According to this position, natural laws completely determine the course of the material world. Mental states, and therefore the will as well, would be material states, which means human behavior and decisions would be completely determined by natural laws. Some take this reasoning a step further. People cannot determine by themselves what they want and what they do. Consequently, they are not free. This argumentation is rejected, on the one hand, by the compatibilists. Those who adopt this position suggest that the question are we free? can only be answered once we have determined what return free means. The opposite of free is not caused but compelled or coerced. It is not appropriate to identify freedom with indetermination. A free act is one where the agent could have done otherwise if it had chosen otherwise. In this sense a person can be free even though determinism is true. The most important compatibilist in the history of the philosophy was David Hume. More recently, this position is defended, for example, by Daniel Dennett. On the other hand, there are also many incompatibilists who reject the argument because they believe that the will is free in a stronger sense called libertarianism. These philosophers affirm the course of the world is either a not completely determined by natural law where natural law is intercepted by a physically independent agency, b determined by indeterministic natural law only, or c determined by indeterministic natural law in line with the subjective effort of physically non-reducible agency. Under libertarianism, the will does not have to be deterministic and, therefore, it is potentially free. Critics of the second proposition accuse the incompatibilists of using an incoherent concept of freedom. They argue as follows, if our will is not determined by anything, then we desire what we desire by pure chance. And if what we desire is purely accidental, we are not free. So if our will is not determined by anything, we are not free, self. The philosophy of mine also has important consequences for the concept of self. If by self or I one refers to an essential, immutable nucleus of the person, some modern philosophers of mind, such as Daniel Dennett believe that no such thing exists. According to Dennett and other contemporaries, the self is considered an illusion. The idea of a self as an immutable essential nucleus derives from the idea of an immaterial soul. Such an idea is unacceptable to modern philosophers with physicalist orientations and their general skepticism of the concept of self as postulated by David Hume, who could never catch himself not doing, thinking or feeling anything. However, in the light of empirical results from developmental psychology, developmental biology and neuroscience, the idea of an essential and constant, material nucleus and integrated representational system distributed over changing patterns of synaptic connection seems reasonable. Tibetan Buddhism Metaphysical Theater Tibetan Buddhist theories of mind devolved directly from the Indian Mahayana views. Thus the founder of the Glag school, Jeet Karpa discusses the Yagra system of the eight consciousnesses in his explanation of the difficult points. He would later come to repudiate NTARAKITA's pragmatic idealism. 
According to the 14th Dalai Lama the mind can be defined as an entity that has the nature of mere experience, that is, clarity and knowing. It is the knowing nature, or agency, that is called mind, and this is non-material. The simultaneously dual nature of mind is as follows. 1. Clarity, GSAL, the mental activity which produces cognitive phenomena, SNEDA. 2. Knowing, RIG, the mental activity of perceiving cognitive phenomena. The 14th Dalai Lama has also explicitly laid out his theory of mind as experiential dualism which is described above under the different types of dualism. Because Tibetan philosophy of mind is ultimately soteriological, it focuses on meditative practices such as TZ or GCHEN and Mahamudra the Tila practitioner to experience the true reflexive nature of the mind directly. This unextracted knowledge of one's primordial, empty and non-dual Buddha nature is called Rigma. The mind's innermost nature is described among various schools as pure luminosity or clear light at GSAL, and is often compared to a crystal ball or a mirror. Segirinvich speaks of mind thus, imagine a sky, empty, spacious, and pure from the beginning, excessence is like this. Imagine a sun, luminous, clear, unobstructed, and spontaneously present, its nature is like this. Zen Buddhism, the central issue in Chinese Zen philosophy of mind is in the difference between the pure and awakened mind and the defiled mind. Chinese Chan Master Guangpo described the mind as without beginning and without form or limit while the defiled mind was that which was obscured by attachment to form and concepts. The pure Buddha mind is thus able to see things as they truly are, as absolute and non-dual thus and stuffed. This non-conceptual seeing also includes the paradoxical fact that there is no difference between a defiled and a pure mind, as well as no difference between samsara and nirvana. In the short of Genzo, the Japanese philosopher Doshin argued that body and mind are neither ontologically nor phenomenologically distinct, but are characterized by oneness called Shinjin, body and According to Doshin, casting off body and mind Shinjin Dachsaruk in Sazen will allow one to experience things as they are, and Joikun, which is the nature of original enlightenment, Honaku. Topics related to philosophy of mind. There are countless subjects that are affected by the ideas developed in the philosophy of mind. Clear examples of this are the nature of death and its definitive character, the nature of emotion, of perception and of memory. Questions about what a person is and what his or her identity consists of also have much to do with the philosophy of mind. There are two subjects that, in connection with the philosophy of the mind, have aroused special attention. Free will and the self. Anchor FMM podcasting meditation concentration nor you concentration nor you are not here on the metaphysical theater. Materialism, arguably the first exposition of empirical materialism in the history of philosophy is in the CRVKA school, also called Lakuta. The CRVKA school rejected the existence of anything but matter, which they defined as being made up of the four elements, including God and the soul. Therefore, they held that even consciousness was nothing but a construct made up of atoms. A section of the CRVKA school believed in a material soul made up of air breath, but since this also was a form of matter, it was not said to survive death. Form is derived from the four great elements, 
consciousness arises from other agadists, mental factors arise from the contact of consciousness and other self-experienced agadists. Diagram details Buddhist teachings describe that the mind manifests moment to moment as sense impressions and mental phenomena that are continuously changing. The moment-by-moment -moment manifestation of the mind stream has been described as happening in every person all the time, even in a scientist who analyzes various phenomena in the world, or analyzes the material body including the organ brain. The manifestation of the mind stream is also described as being influenced by physical laws, biological laws, psychological laws, volitional laws, and universal laws. A salient feature of Buddhist philosophy which sets it apart from Indian orthodoxy is the centrality of the doctrine of not-self, play, anatta, skt, entman. The Buddha's not-self doctrine sees humans as an impermanent composite of five psychological and physical aspects instead of a single fixed self. In this sense, what is called ego or the self is merely a convenient fiction, an illusion that does not apply to anything real but to an erroneous way of looking at the ever-changing stream of five interconnected aggregate factors. The relationship between these aggregates is said to be one of dependent arising, pratyasantta. This means that all things, including mental events, arise co-dependently from a plurality of other causes and conditions. This seems to reject both causal determinist and epiphenomenalist conceptions of mind, Abhidharma theories of mind. Three centuries after the death of the Buddha, c. 150 BCE, saw the growth of a large body of literature called the Abhidharma in several contending Buddhist schools. In the Abhidharmic analysis of mind, the ordinary thought is defined as prapanaka conceptual proliferation. According to this theory, perceptual experience is bound up in multiple conceptualizations, expectations, judgments and desires. This proliferation of conceptualizations form our illusory superimposition of concept slide self and other upon another changing stream of aggregate phenomena. In this conception of mind no strict distinction is made between the conscious faculty and the actual sense perception of various phenomena. Consciousness is instead said to be divided into six sense modalities, five for the five senses and sixth for perception of mental phenomena. The arising of cognitive awareness is said to depend on sense perception, awareness of the mental faculty itself which is termed mental or introspective awareness, menavijnana, oi and attention, vartana, the picking out of objects out of the constantly changing stream of sensory impressions. Rejection of a permanent agent eventually led to the philosophical problems of the seeming continuity of mind and also of explaining how rebirth and karma continue to be irrelevant doctrines without an eternal mind. This challenge was met by the Theravda school by introducing the concept of mind as a factor of existence. This life stream BHAVANGA SOTA is an undercurrent forming the condition of being. The continuity of a karmic person is therefore shoved in the form of a mind stream, Chita Sintana, a series of flowing mental moments arising from the subliminal life continuum mind, BHAVANGA Chita, mental content, oi and attention, Indi and Mahayana. The Setrantika school held a form of phenomenalism that saw the world as imperceptible. It held that external objects exist only as a support for cognition, which can only apprehend mental representations. This influenced the later Yagra school of Mahayana Buddhism. 
The Edgar School is often called the mind-only school because of its internalized stance that consciousness is the ultimate existing reality. The words of Vesbandhu have often been interpreted as arguing for some form of idealism. Vesbandhu uses the dream argument and a meriological refutation of atomism to attack the reality of external objects as anything other than mental entities. Scholarly interpretations of Vesbandhu's philosophy vary widely and include phenomenalism, neutral manism and realist phenomenology. The Indian Mahayana schools were divided on the issue of the possibility of reflexive awareness, Svasavatana. Dharmakriti accepted the idea of reflexive awareness as expanded by the Yegra school, comparing it to a lamp that illuminates itself while also illuminating other objects. This was strictly rejected by MDHYMIKA scholars like Kandrakruti. Since in the philosophy of the MDHYMIK all things and mental events are characterized by emptiness, they argued that consciousness could not be an inherently reflexive ultimate reality since that would mean it was self-validating and therefore not characterized by emptiness. These views were ultimately reconciled by the 8th century thinker NTARAKITA. In NTARAKITA's synthesis he adopts the idealist Yegra views of reflexive awareness as a conventional truth into the structure of the two truths doctrine. Thus he states, by relying on the mind-only system, nor that external entities do not exist. And by relying on this middle-way system, nor that no self exists at all, even in that mind. The Yegra school also developed the theory of the repository consciousness, Levijnana, to explain continuity of mind in rebirth and accumulation of karma. This repository consciousness acts as a storehouse for karma seeks, Bija, when all other senses are absent during the process of death and rebirth as well as being the causal potentiality of dharmic phenomena. Thus according to Bialan Wallace, nor constituents of the body in the brain or elsewhere transform into mental states and processes. Such subjective experiences do not emerge from the body, but neither do they emerge from nothing. Rather, all objective mental appearances arise from the substrate, and all subjective mental states and processes arise from the substrate consciousness. Inside the Anchor FM podcast of the Metaphysical Theatre, Free will. In the context of philosophy of mind, the problem of free will takes on renewed intensity. This is certainly the case, at least, for materialistic determinists. According to this position, natural laws completely determine the course of the material world. Mental states, and therefore the will as well, would be material states, which means human behavior and decisions would be completely determined by natural laws. Some take this reasoning a step further. People cannot determine by themselves what they want and what they do. Consequently, they are not free. This argumentation is rejected, on the one hand, by the compatibilists. Those who adopt this position suggest that the question are we free? can only be answered once we have determined what the term free means. The opposite of free is not caused but compelled or coerced. It is not appropriate to identify freedom with indetermination. A free act is one where the agent could have done otherwise if it had chosen otherwise. In this sense a person can be free even though determinism is true. The most important compatibilist in the history of the philosophy was David Hume. 
More recently, this position is defended, for example, by Daniel Dennett. On the other hand, there are also many incompatibilists who reject the argument because they believe that the will is free in a stronger sense called libertarianism. These philosophers affirm in the course of the world is either a, not completely determined by natural law or natural law is intercepted by a physically independent agency, b, determined by indeterministic natural law only, or c, determined by indeterministic natural law in line with the subjective effort of physically non-reducible agency. Under libertarianism, the will does not have to be deterministic and, therefore, it is potentially free. Critics of the second proposition accuse the incompatibilists of using an incoherent concept of freedom. They argue as follows, if our will is not determined by anything, then we desire what we desire by pure chance. And if what we desire is purely accidental, we are not free. So if our will is not determined by anything, we are not free, self. The philosophy of mine also has important consequences for the concept of self. If by self or I one refers to an essential, immutable nucleus of the person, some modern philosophers of mind, such as Daniel Dennett believe that no such thing exists. According to Dennett and other contemporaries, the self is considered an illusion. The idea of a self as an immutable essential nucleus derives from the idea of an immaterial soul. Such an idea is unacceptable to modern philosophers with physicalist orientations and their general skepticism of the concept of self as postulated by David Hume, who could never catch himself not doing, thinking or feeling anything. However, in the light of empirical results from developmental psychology, developmental biology and neuroscience, the idea of an essential and constant, material nucleus and integrated representational system distributed over changing patterns of synaptic connection seems reasonable. Tibetan Buddhism Metaphysical Theatre Tibetan Buddhist theories of mind evolved directly from the Indian Mahayana views. Thus the founder of the Glek school, Jeet Karpa discusses the Yagra system of the eight consciousnesses in his explanation of the difficult points. He would later come to repudiate NTARAKITA's pragmatic idealism. According to the 14th Dalai Lama the mind can be defined as an entity that has the nature of mere experience, that is, clarity and knowing. It is the knowing nature, or agency, that is called mind, and this is non-material. The simultaneously dual nature of mind is as follows. 1. Clarity, GSAL, the mental activity which produces cognitive phenomena, SNEBA. 2. Knowing, RIG, the mental activity of perceiving cognitive phenomena. The 14th Dalai Lama has also explicitly laid out his theory of mind as experiential dualism which is described above under the different types of dualism. Because Tibetan philosophy of mind is ultimately soteriological, it focuses on meditative practices such as TZOGCHEN and Mahamudra the Tila practitioner to experience the true reflexive nature of their mind directly. This unobstructed knowledge of one's primordial, empty and non-dual Buddha nature is called Rigpa. The mind's innermost nature is described among various schools as pure luminosity or clear light at GSAL, and is often compared to a crystal ball or a mirror. Segirinvich speaks of mind thus, imagine a sky, empty, spacious, and pure from the beginning. Accessence is like this. 
Imagine a sun, luminous, clear, unobstructed, and spontaneously present. Its nature is like this. Zen Buddhism, the central issue in Chinese Zen philosophy of mind is in the difference between the pure and awakened mind and the defiled mind. Chinese Chan Master Langpo described the mind as without beginning and without form or limit while the defiled mind was that which was obscured by attachment to form and concepts. The pure Buddha mind is thus able to see things as they truly are, as absolute and non-dual thus instathed. This non-conceptual seeing also includes the paradoxical fact that there is no difference between a defiled and a pure mind, as well as no difference between samsara and nirvana. In the Shodo Genzo, the Japanese philosopher Doshin argued that body and mind are neither ontologically nor phenomenologically distinct, but are characterized by a oneness called Shinjin, body and. According to Doshin, casting off body and mind Shinjin Datsurak in Sazan will allow one to experience things as they are, and Joikun, which is the nature of original enlightenment, Honaku. Topics related to philosophy of mind. There are countless subjects that are affected by the ideas developed in the philosophy of mind. Clear examples of this are the nature of death and its definitive character, the nature of emotion, of perception and of memory. Questions about what a person is and what his or her identity consists of also have much to do with the philosophy of mind. There are two subjects that, in connection with the philosophy of the mind, have aroused special attention, free will and the self. Anchor FMM podcasting meditation concentration all you concentration all you are not here on the metaphysical theater. Metaphysical theater podcast. The churchlands often invoke the fate of other erroneous popular theories and ontologies that have arisen in the course of history. For example, Ptolemaic astronomy served to explain and roughly predict the motions of the planets for centuries, but eventually this model of the solar system was eliminated in favor of a Copernican model. The Churchlands believed the same eliminative fate awaits the sentence cruncher model of the mind in which thought and behavior are the result of manipulating sentence-like states called propositional attitudes. Non-physicalist monisms, idealism. Idealism is the form of monism that sees the world as consisting of minds, mental contents and or consciousness. Idealists are not faced with explaining how minds arise from bodies. Rather, the world, bodies and objects are regarded as mere appearances held by minds. However, accounting for the mind-body problem is not usually the main motivation for idealism. Rather, idealists tend to be motivated by skepticism, intentionality, and the unique nature of ideas. Idealism is prominent in Eastern religious and philosophical thought. It has gone through several cycles of popularity and neglect in the history of Western philosophy. Different varieties of idealism may hold that there are multiple minds, pluralistic idealism, only one human mind, solipsism, or a single absolute, anima mundi, one or over soul, neutral monism. Neutral monism, in philosophy, is the metaphysical view that the mental and the physical are two ways of organizing or describing the same elements, which are themselves neutral, that is, neither physical nor mental. This view denies that the mental and the physical are two fundamentally different things. Rather, neutral monism claims the universe consists of only one kind of stuff, in the form of neutral elements that are in themselves neither mental nor physical. These neutral elements might have the properties of color and shape, just as we experience those properties. But these shaped and colored elements do not exist in a mind, considered as a substantial entity, whether dualistically or physicalistically. They exist on their own. Mysterianism. 
Some philosophers take an epistemic approach and argue that the mind-body problem is currently unsolvable, and perhaps will always remain unsolvable to human beings. This is usually termed Neumisterianism. Colin McGinn holds that human beings are cognitively closed in regards to their own minds. According to McGinn human minds lack the concept forming procedures to fully grasp how mental properties such as consciousness arise from their causal basis. An example would be how an elephant is cognitively closed in regards to particle physics. A more moderate conception has been expounded by Thomas Nagel, which holds that the mind-body problem is currently unsolvable at the present stage of scientific development and that it might take a future scientific paradigm shift or revolution to bridge the explanatory gap. Nagel posits that in the future a sort of objective phenomenology might be able to bridge the gap between subjective conscious experience and its physical basis. Linguistic criticism of the mind-body problem. Each attempt to answer the mind-body problem encounters substantial problems. Some philosophers argue that this is because there is an underlying conceptual confusion. These philosophers, such as Ludwig Wittgenstein and his followers in the tradition of linguistic criticism, therefore reject the problem as illusory. They argue that it is an error to ask how mental and biological states fit together. Rather it should simply be accepted that human experience can be described in different ways for instance, in a mental and in a biological vocabulary. Illusory problems arise if one tries to describe the one in terms of the other's vocabulary or if the mental vocabulary is used in the wrong contexts. This is the case, for instance, if one searches for mental states of the brain. The brain is simply the wrong context for the use of mental vocabulary. The search for mental states of the brain is therefore a category error or a sort of fallacy of reasoning. Today, such a position is often adopted by interpreters of Wittgenstein such as Peter Hacker. However, Hilary Putnam, the originator of functionalism, has also adopted the position that the mind-body problem is an illusory problem which should be dissolved according to the manner of Wittgenstein. Externalism and internalism. Where is the mind located? If the mind is a physical phenomenon of some kind, it has to be located somewhere. According to some, there are two possible options. Either the mind is internal to the body, internalism, or the mind is external to it, externalism. More generally, either the mind depends only on events and properties taking place inside the subject's body or it depends also on factors external to it. Proponents of internalism are committed to the view that moral activity is sufficient to produce the mind. Proponents of externalism maintain that the surrounding world is in some sense constitutive of the mind. Externalism differentiates into several versions. The main ones are somatic externalism, cognitive externalism and phenomenal externalism. Each of these versions of externalism can further be divided into whether they refer only to the content or to the vehicles of the mind. Semantic externalism holds that the semantic content of the mind is totally or partially defined by a state of affairs external to the body of the subject. Hilary Putnam's twin-earth thought experiment is a good example. Cognitive externalism is a very broad collection of views that suggests the role of the environment, of tools, of development, and of the body in fleshing out cognition. Embodied cognition, the extended mind, and adaptivism are good examples. Phenomenal externalism suggests that the phenomenal aspects of the mind are external to the body. Authors who address this possibility are Ted Honderick, Edwin Holt, Francois Tana, Kevin Organ, Ricardo Lanzetti, T. Rockwell and Max Velmans. Naturalism and its problems. The thesis of physicalism is that the mind is part of the material, or physical, world. Such a position faces the problem that the mind has certain properties that no other material thing seems to possess. Physicalism must therefore explain how it is possible that these properties can nonetheless emerge from a material thing. The project of providing such an explanation is often referred to as the naturalization of the metal. Some of the crucial problems that this project attempts to resolve include the existence of Kula and the nature of intentionality. In this the metaphysical theater Anchor FM Pedcast, which is a free pedcasting application for mobile devices on the Google Play Store.
metaphysical theater podcast on Anchor FM, I an English computer voice emotionless emotion counter if it's narrator secretly invisibly vibrant in life. Within this a system of a down. Philosophy of mind. A phrenological mapping of the brain, phonology was among the first attempts to correlate mental functions with specific parts of the brain, although it is now largely discredited. Philosophy of mind is a branch of philosophy that studies the nature of the mind. The mind-body problem is a paradigm issue in philosophy of mind, although other issues are addressed, such as the hard problem of consciousness, and the nature of particular mental states. Aspects of the mind that are studied include mental events, mental functions, mental properties, consciousness, the ontology of the mind, the nature of thought, and the relationship of the mind to the body. Dualism and monism are the two central schools of thought on the mind-body problem, although nuanced views have arisen that do not fit one or the other category neatly. Dualism is seen even in the Eastern tradition, in the Sankhya and Yoga schools of Hindu philosophy, and Plato, who took century into Western philosophy, was thanks to René Descartes in the 17th century. Substance dualists like Descartes argue that the mind is an independently existing substance, whereas property dualists maintain that the mind is a group of independent properties that emerge from and cannot be reduced to the brain, but that it is not a distinct substance. Monism is the position that mind and body are not ontologically distinct entities, independent substances. This view was first advocated in Western philosophy by Parmenides in the 5th century BCE and was later espoused by the 17th century rationalist Baruch Spinoza. Physicalists argued that only entities postulated by physical theory exist, and that mental processes will eventually be explained in terms of these entities as physical theory continues to evolve. Physicalists maintain various positions on the prospects of reducing mental properties to physical properties, many of whom adopt compatible forms of property dualism, and the ontological status of such mental properties remains unclear. Idealists maintain that the mind is all that exists and that the external world is either mental itself, or an illusion created by the mind. Neutral monists such as Ernst Wach and William James argue that events in the world can be thought of as either mental, psychological, or physical depending on the network of relationships into which they enter, and dual aspect monists such as Spinoza adhere to the position that there is some other neutral substance, and that both matter and mind are properties of this unknown substance. The most common monisms in the 20th and 21st centuries have all been variations of physicalism. These positions include behaviorism, the type identity theory, anomalous monism and functionalism. Most modern philosophers of mind adopt either a reductive or non-reductive physicalist position, maintaining in their different ways that the mind is not something separate from the body. These approaches have been particularly influential in the sciences, especially in the fields of sociobiology, computer science, evolutionary psychology and the various neurosciences. Reductive physicalists assert that all mental states and properties will eventually eventually be explained by scientific accounts of physiological processes and states. Non-reductive physicalists argue that, although the mind is not a separate substance, mental properties supervene on physical properties, or that the predicates and vocabulary used in mental descriptions and explanations are indispensable, and cannot be reduced to the language and lower-level explanations of physical science. Continued neuroscientific progress has helped to clarify some of these issues. However, they are far from being resolved. Modern philosophers of mind continue to ask how the subjective qualities and the intentionality of mental states and properties can be explained in naturalistic terms. Mind-body problem. 
The mind-body problem concerns the explanation of the relationship that exists between minds or mental processes and bodily states or processes. The main aim of philosophers working in this area is to determine the nature of the mind and mental states slash processes and how even if minds are affected by and can affect the body. Our perceptual experiences depend on stimuli that arrive at our various sensory organs from the external world, and these stimuli cause changes in our mental states, ultimately causing us to feel a sensation which may be pleasant or unpleasant. Someone's desire for a slice of pizza, for example, will tend to cause that person to move his or her body in a specific manner and in a specific direction to obtain what he or she wants. The question, then, is how it can be possible for conscious experiences to arise out of a lump of grey matter endowed with nothing but electrochemical properties. A related problem is how someone's propositional attitudes, for instance beliefs and desires, cause that individual's neurons to fire and muscles to contract. These comprise some of the puzzles that have confronted epistemologists and philosophers of mind from at least the time of René Descartes. Dualist solutions to the mind-body problem dualism is a set of views about the relationship between mind and matter, or body. That begins with the claim that mental phenomena are, in some respects, non-physical. One of the earliest known formulations of mind-body dualism was expressed in the Eastern Sankhya and Yoga schools of Hindu philosophy, c. 650 BCE, which divided the world into prusha, mind-slash-spirit, and prakriti, material substance. Specifically, the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali presents an analytical approach to the nature of the mind. In Western philosophy, the earliest discussions of dualist ideas are in the writings of Plato who maintained that humans' intelligence of faculty of the mind or soul could not be identified with or explained in terms of their physical body. However, the best-known version of dualism is due to René Descartes, 1641, and holds that the mind is an unextended, non-physical substance, a raised cagitans. Descartes was the first to clearly identify the mind with consciousness and self-awareness, and to distinguish this from the brain, which was the seat of intelligence. He was therefore the first to formulate the mind-body problem in the form in which it still exists today. Arguments for Dualism the most frequently used argument in favor of dualism appeals to the common-sense intuition that your conscious experience is distinct from inanimate matter. If asked what the mind is, the average person would usually respond by identifying it with their self, their personality, their soul, or some other such entity. They would almost almostly deny that the mind simply is the brain, or vice versa, finding the idea that there is just one ontological entity at play to be too mechanistic, or simply unintelligible. Many modern philosophers of mind think that these intuitions are misleading and that we should use our critical faculties, along with empirical evidence from the sciences, to examine these assumptions to determine whether there is any real basis to them. Another important argument in favor of dualism is that the mental and the physical seem to have quite different, and perhaps irreconcilable, properties. Mental events have a subjective quality, whereas physical events do not. So, for example, one can reasonably ask what a burnt finger feels like, or what a blue sky looks like, or what nice music sounds like to a person. But it is meaningless, or at least hard, to ask what a surge in the uptake of glutamate in the dorsal lateral portion of the hippocampus feels like. Philosophers of mind call the subjective aspects of mental events cooler or feels. There is something that it is like to feel pain, to see a familiar shade of blue, and so on. There are cool are involved in these mental events that seem particularly difficult to reduce to anything physical. 
David Chalmers explains this argument by stating that we could conceivably not all the objective information about something, such as the brain's tapes and wavelengths of light involved with seeing the color red, but still not know something fundamental about the situation, what it is like to see the color red. If consciousness, the mind, can exist independently of physical reality, the brain, one must explain how physical memories are created concerning consciousness. Dualism must therefore explain how consciousness affects physical reality. One possible explanation is that of a miracle, proposed by Arnold Jelinks and Nicholas Mellebrink, where all mind-body interactions require the direct intervention of God. Another possible argument that has been proposed by C.S. Lewis is the argument from reason. If, as monism implies, all of our thoughts are the effects of physical causes, then we have no reason for assuming that they are also in the consequence of a reasonable ground. Knowledge, however, is apprehended by reasoning from ground to consequent. Therefore, if monism is correct, there would be no way of knowing this or anything else we could not even suppose it, except by a fluke. The zombie argument is based on a thought experiment proposed by Todd Moody and developed by David Chalmers in his book The Conscious Mind. The basic idea is that one can imagine one's body, and therefore conceive the existence of one's body, without any conscious states being associated with this body. Chalmers' argument is that it seems possible that such a being could exist, because all that is needed is that all and only the things that the physical sciences describe about a zombie must be true of it. Since none of the concepts involved in these sciences make reference to consciousness or other mental phenomena, and any physical entity can be, by definition, described scientifically via physics, the move from conceivability to possibility is not such a large one. Others such as Dennett have argued that the notion of a philosophical zombie is an incoherent, or unlikely, concept. It has been argued under physicalism that one must either believe that anyone including oneself might be a zombie, or that no one can be a zombie following from the assertion that one's own conviction about being, or not being, a zombie is a product of the physical world and is therefore no different from anyone else's. This argument has been expressed by Dennett who argues that zombies think they are conscious, think they have caught well, think they suffer pains they are just wrong according to this lamentable tradition, in ways that neither they nor we could ever discover. See also any problem of other minds. Interactionist dualism. Portrait of René Descartes by Franz Hells, 1648. Interactionist dualism, or simply interactionism, is the particular form of dualism first espoused by Descartes in the Meditations. In the 20th century, its major defenders have been Karl Popper and John Carew Eccles. It is the view that mental states, such as beliefs and desires, casually interact with physical states. Descartes' famous argument for this position can be summarized as follows. Seth has a clear and distinct idea of his mind as a thinking thing that has no spatial extension, that is, it cannot be measured in terms of length, weight, height, and so on. He also has a clear and distinct idea of his body as something that is spatially extended, subject to quantification and not able to think. It follows that mind and body are not identical, because they have radically different properties. At the same time, however, it is clear that Seth's mental states, desires, beliefs, etc., have causal effects on his body and vice versa. A child touches a hard store of physical event, which causes pain, mental event, and makes a yell, physical event. This in turn provokes a sense of fear and protectiveness in the caregiver, mental event, and so on. Descartes' argument crucially depends on the premise that what Seth believes to be clear and distinct ideas in his mind are necessarily true. Many contemporary philosophers doubt this. 
For example, Joseph Agassiz suggests that several scientific discoveries made since the early 20th century have undermined the idea of privileged access to one's own ideas. Freud claimed that a psychologically trained observer can understand a person's unconscious motivations better than the person himself does. Duhem has shown that a philosopher of science can know a person's methods of discovery better than that person herself does, while Milanovsky has shown that an anthropologist can know a person's customs and habits better than the person whose customs and habits they are. He also asserts that modern psychological experiments that cause people to see things that are not there provide grounds for rejecting Descartes' argument, because scientists can describe a person's perceptions better than the person herself can. Other forms of dualism Four varieties of dualism. The arrows indicate the direction of the causal interactions. Occasionalism is not shown. Psychophysical parallelism. Psychophysical parallelism, or simply parallelism, is the view that mind and body, while having distinct ontological status, do not causally influence one another. Instead, they run along parallel paths. Mind events casually interact with mind events and brain events casually interact with brain events, and only seem to influence each other. This view was most prominently defended by Gottfried Leibniz. Although Leibniz was an ontological monist who believed that only one type of substance, the monad, exists in the universe, and that everything is reducible to it, he nonetheless maintained that there was an important distinction between the mental and the physical in terms of causation. He held that God had arranged things in advance so that minds and bodies would be in harmony with each other. This is known as the doctrine of proprietary harmony, occasionalism. Occasionalism is the view espoused by Nicholas Mellebrink that asserts that all supposedly causal relations between physical events, or between physical and mental events, are not really causal at all. While body and mind are different substances, causes, whether mental or physical, are related to their effects by an act of God's intervention on each specific occasion. Property dualism. Property dualism is the view that the world is constituted of just one kind of substance, the physical kind, and there exist two distinct kinds of properties. Physical properties and mental properties. In other words, it is the view that non-physical, mental properties, such as beliefs, desires and emotions, inhere in some physical bodies, at least, brains. How mental and physical properties relate casually depends on the variety of property dualism in question, and is not always a clear issue. Such varieties of property dualism include Strong emergentism asserts that when matter is organized in the appropriate way, that is in the way that living human bodies are organized, mental properties emerge in a way not fully accountable for by physical laws. Hence, it is a form of emergent materialism. These emergent properties have an independent ontological status and cannot be reduced to or explained in terms of the physical substrate from which they emerge. They are dependent on physical properties from which they emerge, with opinions various to the coherence of top-down causation, that is the causal effectiveness of such properties. A form of property dualism has been espoused by David Chalmers and the concept has undergone something of a renaissance in recent years, which was already suggested in the 19th century by William James. Epiphenomenalism is a doctrine first formulated by Thomas Henry Huxley. Which consists of the view that mental phenomena are casually ineffectual, where one or more mental states do not have any influence on physical states or mental phenomena are the effects, which not the causes, of physical phenomena. Physical events can cause other physical events and physical events can cause mental events, which mental events cannot cause anything, since they are just casually inert by products, that is appear phenomena, of the physical world. This view has been defended most strongly in recent times by Frank Jackson. 
Non-reactive physicalism is the view that mental properties form a separate ontological class to physical properties. Mental states, such as Kuhula, are not reducible to physical states. The ontological stance towards Kuhula in the case of non-reductive physicalism does not imply that Kuhula are occasionally inert. This is what distinguishes it from epiphenomenalism. Penpsychism is the view that all matter has a mental aspect, or, alternatively, all objects have a unified center of experience or a point of view. Superficially, it seems to be a form of property dualism, since it regards everything as having both mental and physical properties. However, some penpsychists say mechanical behavior is derived from primitive mentality of atoms and molecules as a sophisticated mentality and organic behavior, the difference being attributed to the presence or absence of complex structure in a compound object. So long as the reduction of non-mental properties to mental ones is in place, penpsychism is not a strong form of property dualism. Otherwise it is dual aspect theory. Dual aspect theory or dual aspect monism is the view that the mental and the physical are two aspects of or perspectives on the same substance. Thus it is a mixed position which is monistic in some respects. In modern philosophical writings, the theory's relationship to neutromonism has become somewhat ill-defined, which one profit distinction says that whereas neutromonism allows the context of a given group of neutral elements and the relationships into which they enter to determine whether the group can be thought of as mental, physical, both, or in either, dual aspect theory suggests that the mental and the physical are manifestations, or aspects, of some underlying substance, entity or a process that is itself neither mental nor physical as normally understood. Various formulations of dual aspect monism also require the mental and the physical to be complementary, mutually irreducible and perhaps inseparable, though distinct. Experiential dualism. This is a philosophy of mind that regards the degrees of freedom between mental and physical well-being as not necessarily synonymous, thus implying an experiential dualism between body and mind. An example of these disparate degrees of freedom is given by Alan Wallace who notes that it is experientially apparent that one may be physically uncomfortable for instance, while engaging in a strenuous physical workout while mentally cheerful. Conversely, one may be mentally distraught while experiencing physical comfort. Experiential dualism notes that our subjective experience of merely seeing something in the physical world seems qualitatively different than mental processes like grief that comes from losing a loved one. This philosophy also is a proponent of causal dualism which is defined as the dualability for mental states and physical states to affect one another. Mental states can cause changes in physical states and vice versa. However, unlike Cartesian dualism or some other systems, experiential dualism does not posit two fundamental substances in reality, mind and matter. Rather, experiential dualism is to be understood as a conceptual framework that gives credence to the qualitative difference between the experience of mental and physical states. Experiential dualism is accepted as the conceptual framework of Mechamaka Buddhism. Mechamaka Buddhism goes even further, finding fault with the monist view of physicalist philosophies of mind as well in that these generally posit matter and energy as the fundamental substance of reality. Nonetheless, this does not imply that the Kuritian dualist view is correct, rather Mechamaka regards as error in the affirming view of a fundamental substance to reality, in denying the independent self-existence of all the phenomena that make up the world of our experience, the Mechamaka view departs from board the substance dualism of Descartes and the substance monism namely, physicalism that is characteristic of modern science. The physicalism propounded by many contemporary scientists seems to assert that the real world is composed of physical things in themselves, while all mental phenomena are regarded as mere appearances, devoid of any reality in and of themselves. 
Much is made of this difference between appearances and reality. Indeed physicalism, or the idea that matter is the only fundamental substance of reality, is explicitly rejected by Buddhism. In the Medjamaka view, mental events are no more or less real than physical events. In terms of our common sense experience, differences of kind do exist between physical and mental phenomena. While the four commonly have mass, location, velocity, shape, size, and numerous other physical attributes, these are not generally characteristic of mental phenomena. For example, we do not commonly conceive of the feeling of affection for another person as having mass or location. These physical attributes are no more appropriate to other mental events such as sadness, a recalled image from one's childhood, the visual perception of the rose, or a consciousness of any sort. Mental phenomena are, therefore, not regarded as being physical, for the simple reason that they lack many of the attributes that are uniquely characteristic of physical phenomena. Thus, Buddhism has never adopted the physicalist principle that regards only physical things as real. Hylomorphism. Hylomorphism is a theory that originates with Aristotelian philosophy, which conceives being as a compound of matter and form. Hylomorphism is a 19th century term formed from the Greek words hyl, wood, matter, and morph, form. Monism solutions to the mind-body problem. In contrast to dualism, monism does not accept any fundamental divisions. The fundamentally disparate nature of reality has been central to forms of Eastern philosophies for over two millennia. In Indian and Chinese philosophy, monism is integral to how experience is understood. Today, the most common forms of monism in Western philosophy are physicalist. Physicalistic monism asserts that the only existing substance is physical, in some sense of the term to be clarified by our best science. However, a variety of formulations, see below, are possible. Another form of monism, idealism, states that the only existing substance is mental. Although pure idealism, such as that of George Berkeley, is uncommon in contemporary Western philosophy, a more sophisticated variant called penpsychism, according to which mental experience and properties mediate the foundation of physical experience and properties, has been espoused by some philosophers such as Alfred North Whitehead and David Ray Griffin. Phenomenalism is the theory that representations, or sense data, of external objects are all that exist. Such a view was briefly adopted by Bertrand Russell and many of the logical positivists during the early 20th century. A third possibility is to accept the existence of a basic substance that is neither physical nor mental. The mental and physical would then both be properties of this neutral substance. Such a position was adopted by Baruch Spinoza and was popularized by Ernst Walking in the 19th century. This neutral monism, as it is called, resembles property dualism. Physicalistic monisms. Behaviorism. Behaviorism dominated philosophy of mind for much of the 20th century, especially the first half. In psychology, behaviorism developed as a reaction to the inadequacies of introspectionism. Introspective reports on one's own interior mental life are not subject to careful examination for accuracy and cannot be used to form predictive generalizations. Without generalizability and the possibility of third-person examination, the behaviorists argued, psychology cannot be scientific. The way out, therefore, was to eliminate the idea of an interior mental life, and hence an ontologically independent mind, altogether and focus instead on the description of observable behavior. Parallel to these developments in psychology, a philosophical behaviorism, sometimes called logical behaviorism, was developed. This is characterized by a strong verificationism, which generally considers unverifiable statements about interior mental life pointless. For the behaviorist, mental states are not interior states on which one can make introspective reports. 
They are just descriptions of behavior or dispositions to behave in certain ways, made by third parties to explain and predict another's behavior. Philosophical behaviorism has fallen out of favor since the latter half of the 20th century, coinciding with the rise of cognitivism. Cognitivists reject behaviorism due to several perceived problems. For example, behaviorism could be said to be counterintuitive when it maintains that someone is talking about behavior in the event that a person is experiencing a painful headache. Identity theory, type physicalism, or type identity theory, was developed by John Smart and Lynn Place as a direct reaction to the failure of behaviorism. These philosophers reasoned that, if mental states are something material, which not behavioral, then mental states are probably identical to internal states of the brain. In very simplified terms, a mental state M is nothing other than brain state B. The mental state desire for a cup of coffee would thus be nothing more than the firing of certain neurons in certain brain regions. The classic identity theory and anomalous monism in contrast. For the identity theory, every token instantiation of a single mental type corresponds, as indicated by the arrows, to a physical token of a single physical type. For anomalous monism, the token-token correspondence can fall outside of the type-type correspondence. The result is token identity. Despite its initial plausibility, the identity theory faces a strong challenge in the form of the thesis of multiple realizability, first formulated by Hilary Putnam. It is obvious that not only humans, which many different species of animals can, for example, experience pain. However, it seems highly unlikely that all of these diverse organisms with the same pain experience are in the identical brain state. And if this is the case, then pain cannot be identical to a specific brain state. The identity theory is thus empirically unfounded. On the other hand, even granted the above, it does not follow that identity theories of all types must be abandoned. According to token identity theories, the fact that a certain brain state is connected with only one mental state of a person does not have to mean that there is an absolute correlation between types of mental state and types of brain state. The type token distinction can be illustrated by a simple example. The word green contains four types of letters, G, R, E, N, with two tokens, occurrences, of the letter E along with one each of the others. The idea of token identity is that only particular occurrences of mental events are identical with particular occurrences or tokenings of physical events. Anomalous monism, C. Bloor, and most other non-reductive physicalisms are token identity theories. Despite these problems, there is a renewed interest in the type identity theory today, primarily due to the influence of Yekun Kim.